Well, you're in for a treat this morning. Uh, Carson Reed, who is uh, from the Abilene Christian University, the Cybert Institute's part of that, uh, is an arm of that university. Carson's been with us this weekend, uh, helping us do a little um, searching and uh, to health. Uh, review about how, where we're, how we're doing as a church in uh, following the mission that Christ has given us. And uh, it has been wonderful and painful <laughs> as we found out some great things that uh, God is doing here, which we knew were going on. But it's always a little bit difficult to hear some areas where we need to grow. And so we're trying to hear that humbly, and we're also trying to hear that enthusiastically, saying, okay, by God's grace and power, we can do this. Uh, but Carson wants to come this morning and, and share from his heart, uh, again, what Christ is calling us to as not just a, a, a church here in Kerrville, but also as a, a part of his family the world over. And so would you give him a great Kerrville Church of Christ welcome, Carson Reed. Thank you, Junior. Boy, it's been a great pleasure to be in Kerrville this weekend, spend time with leaders yesterday. I want to... I commend uh, your leaders for the act of moving into this survey and the work that that is suggesting and the possibilities that exist out of that. It's a good, it's a good thing, and it's a, a thing that speaks out of vision and hope and possibility. I'm grateful for the hospitality of the sportsmen who've had to put up with me all weekend long, and uh, it's, it's just a delight to be, to be with you here today. The, the church health assessment that you all participated in uh, brings all kinds of things to the surface. It brings, as Jimmy said, good things and it things that are more painful. And it's sometimes hard for us to look into the reality of, of, of what is real, to be faced with that, and to uh, deal with that in an honest and good way, and, uh, and then to make our way forward. Uh, and sometimes that kind of reality can cause us to fall into worrying and stewing about things, things that are uncertain, things that are... Uh, that remind us of our frailty or our brokenness. And frankly, we live in a world where those kinds of things are the things that we're dealing with in our, our ordinary kinds of lives, a sense of uncertainty, a sense of frailty, a sense of brokenness. There's a, there was a boxer back in the 80s and 90s. His name was Quick Tillis, James Quick Tillis. He was a cowboy from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and did most of his boxing out of Chicago. He told a story uh, when he made his first trip to Chicago as a young boxer. He, he got off the bus and had two cardboard boxes, uh, suitcases in his hands, and he stood in front of uh, Sears Tower. He dropped his suitcases and said, Here I am, Chicago. I'm ready to take you on. And he looked down, and his two suitcases were gone. <laughs> that is the way life sometimes is. Just when we think we've got it sorted out, everything changes. And that's the reality for us as churches and in our individual lives. Uncertainty is a thing. And then there's a story that comes uh, out of the 1800s. Uh, a man in Florence, Italy went to see a doctor. And uh, he was feeling so poorly and so sickly, and the doctor checked him out, and he was a pitcher of health. His heartbeat was strong. His sinuses were clear. He did all this kind of stuff. And finally, the doctor just thought, you know, this guy, this needs some encouragement or some, something to kind of lift his spirits a little bit. And he said, said to the man, look, there's a circus in town, and at the circus there's this great clown. His name is Grimaldi, and he's so funny, and you just need to go see Grimaldi at the circus and, and have a few laughs. 
And the man says, you don't understand, you don't understand. I'm Grimaldi. I'm the one depressed. And sometimes we can feel that way in our lives. Like we're just kind of holding on by our skin of our teeth. And we don't know what hardly is coming next. And on the outside it looks like we're doing our thing, but inside we're crumbling. Or that business of brokenness. One of my favorite films is the one done a number of years ago, come out of the novel by Winston Groom called Forrest Gump. Maybe you remember it. There's a poignant scene in that movie where Forrest Gump is with his, his girlfriend, Jenny, and they've gone out to her homestead where she grew up. And there the homestead is now dilapidated, empty, and it's falling in. And Jenny had had so much experience of heartache and abuse by her abusive father. And in that tender and broken moment, she, be, she looks down and finds rocks on the dirt around her, and she begins to throw rocks. And she throws all the rocks she can find. She throws her shoes, and then finally, in a, in a state of just utter brokenness, falls to her knees. And good old Forrest hunkers down around her and says, Sometimes, Jenny, and I can't do an Alabama accent, Sometimes, Jenny, there's just not enough rocks to throw. And there have been times in our lives when we've felt deeply that sense of there's just no hope at all. And it's those kinds of things that I see in the lives at times in churches that I visit across this country. It's the kinds of things that I see in my peers and my friends. I see it in the students that I work with. We find ourselves burdened by aging parents or uncertain relationships or a lack of clarity about what direction a career ought to take or what about the demons that come upon us of addiction or the anxieties of the world that almost that paralyze us that we don't hardly know what to do next or medical challenges or physical challenges, the disappointment we have with ourselves, the disappointment we see in others a church that faces real challenges about how to bear witness to the gospel, to a community. And on and on it goes, and there are plenty of rocks to be thrown, and at the end of the day, none of those rocks that we throw seem to make any difference. And it's that kind of frustration and brokenness and frailty and uncertainty that makes hearing this text that Daniel read for us a few moments ago so, so important. I find it just absolutely fascinating that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 7 and following, Paul can make kind, the kinds of claims that I think we can understand very well. He says, look, I'm afflicted. He says, I'm perplexed. I'm persecuted. And I'm struck down. He knows all of the things that we have been talking about. He has seen it himself. And yet, and this is the thing that I want to draw our attention to, and yet Paul is able to say, I guess afflicted in every way, but I'm not crushed. He says, I'm perplexed, but I'm not driven to despair. He says, I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. And I'm struck down, but I still have life. I'm, I'm not destroyed. There is something about Paul that stands out to me, and it's the sort of thing that I think we might be blessed with if we could get a handle on. What is it with Paul? How is it that Paul is able 
to deal with the frustrations, the limitations, the frailties, the uncertainties, the brokenness of life, and yet not be crushed by it all. What is Paul's secret? Well, Paul's secret is actually in the verse that this whole text begins with. It's in verse 7. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Here it is, church. He says, We have this treasure. We have this treasure in clay jars so that it might be clear that the extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come through us. You see... Sometimes the challenge is that we think that we're doing this on our own. Sometimes we think that we've got to muster up what it needs, what this church needs from within ourselves. Sometimes we think that the way that we're going to find the answer to the dilemmas we find ourselves in are on the shelves of some sort of self-help book uh, shelf in a bookstore. Sometimes we think that our answers for this lie in a bottle or a bottle of pills that it's, on, it's up to us to determine our future when Paul is saying to us, no, 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 no. We're just a bunch of cracked clay pots so that the treasure, the real treasure, will be clear to be seen that it's something that God has given to us. It's not us. That transition is so, so important. You see, our challenge is that we sometimes think that it's up to us, and then what we begin to do is to pay attention to all of our problems. And that's the challenge of doing this church health assessment. We can zero in on what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, and forget that God is alive and in charge. We do that. I mentioned self-help books. You can go to a bookstore, you'll find shelves full of them, how to be whatever it is that you want to be. And there's good stuff out there, make no doubt. But the, the problem is that we're paying attention to the problem, not the solution. I have a friend who was an elder in a church I served up in Indianapolis, Indiana back in the day, and he was a bicyclist. Not just a person who rides around on a bicycle, you know, in a neighborhood. He's the kind of guy who would get on a bicycle and ride 150 miles in one day kind of bicyclist. Yeah, I know, I don't understand it. But nonetheless... Lynn would get on a bicycle and go, 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 go. I asked him one time, how can you do this? He said, when I get on a bicycle, I'm always afraid, riding down the side of the road. Somebody's going to run me over, first of all. Uh, and, but mostly, I said, I, I, when you come up to a, a, a pothole, a crack in the pavement, I'm afraid it's going to throw me. He said, he, he, and then Lynn said, you know, Carson, you're thinking about this all wrong. Bicyclists... And, by the way, motorcyclists as well. My son has now got me riding a motorcycle. That Riding a bike, you have to look where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. Because you will go where you're looking. Are you following me, church? Bicyclists don't look at the holes in the road. They look where they want the tires to go. They look for the possibilities, not the problem. And there takes a bit of discipline to do that. This is what David did back in that old story with David and Saul and Goliath. You remember Goliath, the big old behemoth? And everybody on the, uh, this Philistine would come down the valley and holler up at the armies of Israel. And armies of Israel were quaking in their sandals. Okay, well, they were quaking in their boots. And, 
and here comes little old David. He looks at all of this, and he sees it completely different than everybody else did, from Saul all the way down. Saul and everybody else saw Goliath as a problem, and I don't know how to fix the problem. But David saw something else. He said, if the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the what, church? The bear can deliver me, then the Lord God will deliver me from this, well, yeah, sir, uh, you know, this listing. It's a little rougher in the Hebrew. Yeah, he understood very clearly where the solution lie, and that's what he focused on. He, he paid attention to the power and the possibility of God, and therein lies the difference for you and for this church. The possibilities lie with God, not on ourselves. And so, what is, Paul, what is Paul working out out of this text? There's several things that begin to emerge out of this. One is, as he talks about carrying around the dying Jesus in his body, is the sense of recognizing that actually, as a part of life, we will find ourselves having to let go of stuff, or relinquish stuff, or even to die to stuff. It's only in the dying and the letting go that gives room for God's transcendent power to work. All too often we want to hold on tight to my way and my things and the way I want it to be done and not allow for the possibility of relinquishing that and letting God's work work itself out in us. It's, it's the willingness to relinquish, to carry around the dying Jesus, to let go, to realize that it's actually the Christian, the Christian faith is one that's built on of death and resurrection, of, of God taking nothing and making something out of it, out of Genesis chapter 1, of, of God taking a dead Jesus and making an alive, resurrected Jesus. And that's the kind of work that he wants to do in this church and in your life. It's sort of an odd thing, and yet it's so true. I, I, just in practical kinds of ways, we see this play, it, play itself out. I have a friend who's got a... Uh, a bread and breakfast up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's got a wonderful Spanish uh, adobe place there. It fits wonderfully in Albuquerque. And there's little courtyards with uh, now a huge wisteria shrub, bush, tree that grows through the latticework and creates a great shade to spend an afternoon or a morning quietly in the shade of that wisteria. But my friend, Lee, says that when he first bought the place, that wisteria was all but dead. It wouldn't grow. It wouldn't flourish. He said he went to a, a, a master gardener. He said, what should I do? And he said, get a, he said, Lee, do you have an axe? Lee said, yeah, I got an axe. He said, well, get that axe out and whack the daylights out of that uh, wisteria down near its roots. And Lee said, well, that'll kill it. And the gardener says, no, 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 no. That'll enliven it. <laughs> it's kind of counterintuitive. And sure enough, in fact, that's what that Wisteria needed was a little bit of death in order that it might live. And in our lives, there are things that we need to learn to die to, to let go of, to relinquish, in order that we've got space to let the transcendent power of God do God's work in our lives. And are we willing to relinquish and let go becomes the operative question. Another dimension of this gets played out in all of this is that you know, we don't have to be perfect in order to be used by God. 
If somehow or another we think that this church has got to be perfect before it can be used by God to make a difference in the city of Kerrville, in the environs, or in the world, then we are going to be waiting a long, long time. Because, by the way, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll screw it up. Right? Right? We're all imperfect. And yet, somehow or another, God used the most cracked pots among us to still do good work. He can take us, even in our frailties, and use us as broken people. He can take our wounds that turn into scars, and those scars bear the testimony of God's power to make and enrich our lives and bless others. There's an old story told in India. It's a legend about uh, two pots. There were two pots that were on this water uh, that, that a servant used to carry water. And the servant had one pot on one side, one pot on the other, and a post, a thin post across that he would carry on his shoulder. He would go down every morning and gather up water in those two pots and take them up to the master's house. And one of those pots had a crack in it. And by the time they got up to the master's house, the cracked pot was only half full. And after several years of this, every day, back and forth, the cracked pot spoke up to the servant and said, I'm so sorry. And the servant said, why are you so sorry? Well, I'm a cracked pot. And every time we get up to the top, to the master's house, you've only got a half a pot of water with me because I'm cracked. I'm broken. And the servant said, oh, you silly pot. Haven't you noticed the path that we take from the river up to the master's house? Haven't you noticed that line of flowers all the way up? He, He said, I knew that you were cracked. And I've planted flower seeds all along. And every day you water those seeds and those plants. And every day I'm able to harvest beautiful flowers for the master's table. Church, we are all persons who are carrying scars. And every church has stuff about it that is a little wonky or a little broken. But don't think for a moment that God cannot use a cracked pot. He can, and he does, and he will, if we will but render ourselves to say, here am I, Lord, use me, send me, make use of me. I'm relinquishing so that you can come in and use and work through me. And you know, that kind of drives home the third thing out of all of this that I find really remarkable about this transcendent power of God to pray to perform, to transcend, to work. And it's so needful because so often in churches we get to the point where, and I see this in church after church where I go, it's, it's not, this is not Kerrville, this is every church I go to, there's this sense of if only, if only we had something, we're, we're missing something, we're missing the secret sauce, we're missing the ingredient that we need in order for us to be the kind of church that we want to be. And I see it in people's lives, too. If, if only I'd had a better childhood, or if only my husband hadn't done this, that, or the other, or if only my boss at work had done this, that, or the other. And if, it's the if-only syndrome, and I always want to do it because I'm wringing my hands as I say it. If only this were true in my life, then I could do these other things. And I want to say, church, oh, please, 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 Understand that this transcendent power of God transcends all of that. 
that God is giving to us all that we need for today to deal with what is present to us in this moment. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our what, church? Our daily bread. We have what we need for today. Let's work with what we need to do with today. Tomorrow we'll have enough trouble for its own. And I'm quoting a little Jesus there from Matthew chapter 6, right? Tomorrow we'll take care of it. Today is what I'm focused on, and today I have what I need for today because the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. And this God that lives and works within us is the kind of God that can do remarkable things beyond anything that we can hope or imagine if we would just let the Master do what he wants to do in our lives. Uh, let me just say, let me share this one other story about this, and then I'm going to wrap up here. There was a, there's a jazz trumpeter by the name of Wynton Marsalis. Anybody, anybody know this name? Yeah, several of you have heard or know this uh, artist. He was playing a, a gig uh, about a decade ago up in the northeastern states at a little club, just himself and a couple, three other players. Wynton Marsalis, this master jazz trumpeter. It was a small little club of just a couple hundred people, and everybody was enjoying themselves immensely. Wynton then dismissed the band ensemble, and all by himself, he stood on the stage with just his trumpet and played an old ballad made famous in the 1920s and 30s by a guy by the name of Bing Crosby uh, called I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You. It's an old ballad. And it was lovely, it was beautiful, and the whole place was enwrapped. And as he just, as he was finishing the ballad, I don't stand a ghost of a chance, before he could play with you, somebody's cell phone went off in the room. <laughs> this really obnoxious sound. And, and, and when this happens, as you know what happens when that happens, is that the person's phone who was doing that he could not get it shut off. And so, again, and, uh, and of course, the guy's fumbling and trying to get out of the space, and, and it's just horrible, and people are gasping. And the, the person who reports this was a writer for The Atlantic. He wrote on his notepad, Magic Ruined, in a large letters and underlined it. Ruined! But here's Marsalis. He's standing on the stage. He stands perfectly still. No movement whatsoever. And people are, uh, the crowd. Uh, but then they finally quieten down after several moments. And then note for note, Wynton Marsalis played. <laughs> he took it. He took the, uh, you know, this interruption and played it. And he played it again. And then he did what great jazz players can do, right? They begin to riff on a theme. And he plays with it and does arpeggios off of it and, and messes with it and transitions into another key and starts to create a chorus with it. You know, he just does all kinds of stuff with it. And then he transitions it back into the key of I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you and then finally plays with you. And the crowd just leaps to their feet, a thunderous applause because they had seen a master at work. They had seen the master take something that was a disaster 
and turn something powerful and beautiful with it. And church, if a master trumpeter can do that on a Thursday night in some jazz club, what can the creator of heaven and earth, the Lord, and what can the Lord Jesus Christ, and what can the Holy Spirit do with us when we begin to relinquish our claims on stuff, when we begin to recognize that God can work with us even in our imperfections, and when we begin to let the Master begin to work through us, the transcendent power of God will show forth in our lives and in our church. Amen? Amen. I want to offer a prayer, and then after that prayer, Ray's going to come and lead a song, a time of invitation. Elders will be here. If you would like someone to pray with you, or you want to talk about your life and walk with God, then I'm going to invite you to come. But first, allow me to pray, and then Ray, let's sing. Gracious God, today, we ask that your transcendent power might be known in us. Forgive us when we focus so much on our problems rather than on you. Turn our eyes upon Jesus, O Lord. Help us to be a people uh, that lean into letting go of our parts of ourself and the control of our own lives and rather listen and lean into what you would do. Help us to recognize that we don't have to be perfect. We just simply need to relinquish ourselves and uh, demonstrate our obedience and loyalty and openness to follow you where you would lead us that you can use us even as broken vessels. And Lord, we confess and acknowledge you here today as the great Lord and Master. And we know that you long to do great things in our life and in the life of this church. And to that end, we invite you to work even now. We say this, offer this prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.